Greetings, fellow imps. I'm Imp Fossil Tom Henske, and I'd like to welcome you to From Nowhere to Now Here, Where Incarnate Memories Prevail. Like many incoming first years, I entered the university a blank canvas. You get it, nowhere. But four years later, I grew to now here. And when I look back at that transformation, it was the friendships that I built through the imps that were a huge part of that growth. But where did everyone end up? I'm going to take us on a journey to find them, to catch up with the friends we've lost touch with. And in doing so, my mission is to rekindle these amazing relationships. Imp Nation, I'm back. I'm back. I'm on a hot streak. Lots of people to talk to this month. And you're never gonna guess who we have today. Rainy Russell Shea in the Imp House. What's up, girlfriend? So happy to be here. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to talk to you today, Tom. Man, we got a lot of talking to do and uh, not a lot of time. So we're going to fit it all in. All right, so give me the scooparoo. Where did it start? You came out of the womb. Where were you? And then we're going to have to get into 15,000 places you've lived up until now. So just take us to the start. Yeah, okay. So I grew up uh, in Phoenix, Arizona, running around in cowboy boots with a sunburn perpetually. Um, and found myself not wanting to go to our amazing Arizona colleges and universities, right? But it's literally like my whole high school just up and, and transports itself to the university and continues high school life there. And I was like, yeah, I don't really know if that's for me. So I started looking around um, and in our out of state college night, um, UVA had sent a really hot guy. And I was like, I think this school might be for me. Looked into UVA, got really excited about it, um, applied, uh, had no idea. I had no idea about the school, about the, its reputation, about how incredibly amazing it was. Um, and showed up on day one, had never visited it, nothing. Just showed up on day one and instantly fell in love. And so that's how I got there. Um, then in the midst of uh, being an Arizona girl adjusting to Virginia, UVA. Um, one of the best <laughs> examples was me and a girl across the hall went to whatever, like new student orientation out on the lawn. And we're like, man, it's hot. Like we're standing outside. So we are wearing neon running shorts with like this California volleyball look going on and we're surrounded by people in Laura Ashley dresses and we're like what has happened here and where the hell are we so that was a, a shock but fun and kind of just kicked off the journey at UVA it's like which of these is not like the others <laughs> which one of these just doesn't belong well, I know Imp Nation is going to be shocked to hear that your uh, sole determinant of where you're going to college was a hot guy. Things have not changed. I'm sure. I'm sure that was no one is shocked to hear that at all. Same thing happened to me when I came on my recruiting, my soccer recruiting trip. 
they sent me around with this unbelievable, like beautiful off the charts woman. And then I was like, okay, I'm definitely going here. Only did I find out much later that it was a serious girlfriend of the team captain, right? So like there was zero chance. You are not getting anywhere near this person. (laughs) No, total bait and switch, total bait and switch. I love it. These people know what they're doing. Yeah, they do. They're great marketers in Virginia, for sure. So, okay. So then you get there the first day and you're starting to live your first year life. You know, I always like to know what dorm you were in and give me like the first year. What was it like? Yeah. Okay. So moving into the dorm, right? And I'm in old dorms. Amazing. Best ever in Lefevre. I will say, however, that like day one was slightly less than amazing and best ever. As I'm looking in this dorm, it's 5,000 degrees. There is no air conditioning. It vaguely resembles a prison cell. Um, I'm literally standing there and I can feel like the tears starting to well up in my eyes. And my mom is like, how about we just go get lunch? And I'm like, oh, yeah okay, before I get locked into this uh, hot box for the rest of the year that let's go get some lunch. Um, And then of course, you know, like everybody does, fell in love with it, was like, oh my God, this is way better than new dorms. We're so close and we're tight in the community and it's amazing and fun. And who doesn't love walking down the hallway to share a bathroom with an entire floor of girls? Like who doesn't love that? So um, I would like that. I would would have been all in on that one. What are you complaining about? It seems like the perfect college setting for me. It's hot. Okay. So that means everyone's wearing neon shorts and I'm on a floor <laughs> with girls going to take a shower. Okay. I think that's like, the like what, what was the part about how you were sad? I don't get it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was amazing. And you know, just it loved it, loved old dorms, loved UVA, loved every single thing about it, tried to soak it all in as much as possible. Um, and then I was really happy to be able to have kind of the whole UVA experience in terms of where I lived, right? It's like went from old dorms to Monroe Hill, to my sorority house, to the lawn. And I was like, I've left nothing on the field. Like I, I gave it all, you know, I, I, I took as much as I could and lived it up as much as I could. And what a hell of a ride. It was awesome. What sorority were you in? Pi Phi. Ah, the Pi-Fi's. That's like the fun, good-looking sorority. Like, the- yeah, that's right. Exactly. I love the way I, I I love doing this interview with you. We maybe could just talk every Friday or something. If <laughs> <laughs> it was, I remember, like, I I have like a couple of. Hopefully, my wife is not listening to this podcast. But I had all of the girls in Pi-Fi that I either dated or wanted to date, and it was like they. I loved when you would get invited to one of the date functions because they always involved dancing. And coming from New York, I felt like I had a leg up on that, like dancing stuff. Oh so, yeah, my yeah. God, I love it. I love it, and so true, by the way, right? And and for me at least, like, for, and I don't know what it was like before, and I don't know what it was like since, and any of this. But in in that moment, right, for me, it was a little bit of an out of state sorority. We had a huge Texas contingency. We had, you know, and so it it was actually an awesome way for me to kind of find a place at UVA, really to to fit in, to find some people. Um, And then, I mean, obviously, so that was one way of kind of fitting in with UVA. And then, um, you know, uh, joined the Judiciary Committee early, early on, did that the whole time, loved it. Um, And, you know, obviously being tapped by the imps was this, 
amazing moment of joining this group of people that had such a huge impact on how I saw UVA, how I saw myself, how I ended up seeing the world. Um, and it, I mean, really just, it was, it was an honor. And, and I'm also, I have to say huge shout out to Brian and Ross for finding me and letting me back into the club. Cause it's, it's just been incredible um, to hear these podcasts, to start to reconnect again. Cause it really was a, an incredibly special part of my life. Now, there's a 50-50 on this next question because for most of us, everything's a little bit fuzzy. So as I always encourage people, don't feel bad about like embellishing or lying because you're <laughs> on, like, because you might not remember exactly, but do you remember the tapping? No, I don't. I, I really, it's super blurry. I remember being like, oh my God, this is happening. Like I remember the feeling. Now, as far as like facts and details, Absolutely not, like zero. Um, I have fabulous memories, but my own tapping is not one of them. Well, you know, there's like a correlation because on your own tapping, that meant it was a great night that you don't remember, <laughs> right? So it's like, it's actually- I am certain that I had a fantastic time. I can say that. <laughs> I'm actually much more impressed with guests when they tell me they can't remember than when they can remember. Thank you. Like, oh, you Thank you. You go all out. You really weren't committed to the cause that night, were you? <laughs> I mean, if you can remember it, were you really trying? I don't feel like you were. Saw. Saw. Right? Oh, man. Okay, so then, like, what was going on? You mentioned a couple of places that you were living. Do you remember, um, like, any either imp story? Sorry, imp story. Oh, Let's God, see. yes. Give me a couple. Give me a couple. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of them, and, and I have to, you know, a little bit of a emotional memory um, for me um, with Kenny Heath. Um, just uh, somebody that I was really, really close to all the way through, right? Um, and all, you know, all of my uh, four years at UVA, and you know, even after he graduated, stayed in touch. Um, and I mean, I, I really one of the most amazing and stone cold, brilliant people that I've ever met. And Kenny, as everybody knows, was really not a drinker. Um, and he's the life of any party, but it, not because of his, his drinking. And we were out one night in a bar and Kenny decides that not only is he going to do a shot, he's going to do a flaming Jägermeister shot. And I do a lot of stupid things. And even then, I think I possibly did even more stupid things. But I was like, nah, nah, this like putting something that's on fire into your mouth is I'm just not going to this isn't going to be for me, but you should knock yourself right out. He was determined. And so he took this flaming Jägermeister shot, which burned his lips when when I was tapped one memory that I have. Um, I had around that time a propensity for um, wearing short skirts. And I remember in the course of the tapping, someone being like, she's not going to make it through the night in that outfit. Somebody get her a pair of shorts. <laughs> like, thank you so much for looking out for me. I appreciate that. 
there, I, there are so many places that story could have gone. I'm like so happy <laughs> that it was it ended with somebody looking out for you. You went yeah. from the the flaming Jaeger shots to like the the short skirts. There's like there's like a bad detour that you were about to take. So I'm glad. No, no, right? no, no, no. It, and that's actually it's kind of the charm of the imps, right? It's it's really it's like it ends in a very sweet way always right it, it really it's it's really that's one of the the nice things is this group really um you know had fun and all that stuff but it was also really about community and about being together learning from each other and you know sharing stuff and so and that was very real um i'll give you one more because it's just one of my favorite things of all time is um when we were headed for a march and Calvin Schneider presented me with my very own tiny pitchfork because everybody else has a full-size pitchfork. And um, I was told that it was for the smallest imp. You know, I'm like all of five feet tall on a, on a tall day. And, um, and so I had my very own tiny, tiny miniature pitchfork that I would bring on marches. And that pitchfork has moved with me from city to city to city to city. Um, and, and everybody that sees it, you know, kind of, I get a lot of raised eyebrows. And for a while it was hanging in my garage, it was hanging in the game room. And everybody's like, you know, you're down in the South and Charlotte and Richmond and people are like, oh, I see you have, like a devil symbol. That's interesting. <laughs> That's right. It's my pitchfork. Woo! <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's great. Oh my God. You know, it's funny that I, you, you were, it, first of all, you said you're short and we've never, I haven't seen you, right? So you're on Zoom. Just so you know, on Zoom, you look tall. Thank you. Thank you so much. I feel tall. It like reflects my mental state. So I appreciate that. Right, like I'm not sure if that's like, yeah, I'm hoping that's a compliment for most people, right? You look tall. So, it, so, <laughs> so, so good for you for like using your screen and your angle perfectly. Your, your, your Zoom view is fabo. Okay, so then, so you know, where's that pitchfork now? Where is it residing? Yeah, it actually um, is in storage here in Arizona. So I was like, I was like, I think maybe the last, I, I, I've debated, I was like, do I fly the pitchfork to Munich? And I'm like, mm, maybe I'll just let that sit here. So when I moved to Munich, I, I did leave the pitchfork behind on that move, but it is still with me. So do your kids feel like that's a little weird? They love it so much. I mean, when I'm like, yeah, you know, when we were in college and we would meet and we would dress up and then we would put on devil horns and we would have pitchforks and we'd march through the streets chanting. And they're like, well, that sounds just about right. <laughs> good you've done a good job raising, raising the kids that they think that that's cool. thank you exactly exactly i'm like congratulating myself for raising raising good kids um no they love it they love it um and um my kids they, i mean of course they roll their eyes and make fun of me because they're my kids so that's kind of their main job um but no they they love it they love hearing the stories um i went back i saw brian and a couple other folks and it's like so long ago, it's unbelievable because my, my son is now 21. And at the time he was, I want to say five. And there was some kind of reunion. And I, and I came back to Charlottesville and 
um, there was an imp gathering, right? And, and it was amazing. And it was so great to see everybody and had my kids with me. And my little son um, was really into foam fingers at the time, which how weird is that, right? But he had an entire collection of foam fingers and being a little kid in the South, it was like foam finger, you know, he's got himself a foam finger. And so he's sporting, because of course we bought him a UVA foam finger, you know, UVA number one. And um, so he's sporting his UVA foam finger. We go to the imp gathering and he's wanting to dip the foam finger into the tuna. <laughs> Oh, either drink it or wave it around or like whatever his plan was and he's like marching around and he's yelling i want to be an imp tuna 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 it's perfect it makes total sense to me right total sense i was like that's my kid yep that that one over there that's mine <laughs> so like it's funny i listen to your stories and i'm like her gpa must have been disastrous Right. So, but then, but then I know that you went to law school, so you must have fit in going to class somewhere along the line. Either that, or you had a parent that was the dean of the law school at William and Mary. So, tell us what was going on in the non-imp world at UVA. Oh gosh, yeah. So actually, it's funny um, that you say it because my my entire um, philosophy was always attend class, always attend class. No matter if you are hungover, if you whatever, you attend class. Um, whether you've done the reading or not, just show up. Because if it's going to be on the test, it's coming out of that professor's mouth at some point. So if I just go to class and literally write down every single thing the professor says, I have a shot at this test later on. So I would drag myself to class on any occasion. Um, and, and, and the other thing is I'm a total nerd. I loved it. I, I loved it. I, I was a history major and then I found this American studies program. Um, and actually a, a, an inordinate number of my sorority sisters were part of that as well. It was a super small group, but a lot of us knew each other. Um, and it was kind of like having a a little bit like having a, I don't know, I don't think it was officially a second major, but it was something like a focus or whatever. Um, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Um, and so that helped, right? Um, the late nights and all the fun did not help, but actually really loving my classes um, and wanting to learn about it. That's what kind of saved me, I think. <laughs> Okay, we have one imp out of 200 that wants to learn. Okay, that's great. That's awesome. That's a, that's a new one for this group. Okay, someone actually talked about academics. Great. Awesome. <laughs> I'll tell you, I'll, I'll tell a story on myself. We're actually in this American Studies program, right? And we had this professor and his name was Professor Kett. And I remember this because we ended up I was always so far behind in the reading, so far behind. And I ended up facing uh, some kind of midterm or final exam with literally like 700 pages that I had not read. And I'm like, well, Rainy, you've, you've really done it this time. Like you've outdone yourself. This is, this is, this is a tall hill to climb. And, and I, I, in my head, I was like, I'm going to kick this test ass. I'm going to kick ass in this test. I'm going to kick cat ass. And so this is why this man's name is like emblazoned in my brain. And I had this strategy where I would read the first page and the last page of every chapter. 
and get through the 700 pages and have an overview of basically what this book meant. I wouldn't sleep and I would just go into the test like hardcore. And that was the kind of stuff that I was doing. It was, it's embarrassing, right? And this is the stuff where I'm like, kids don't do this like your mom did, okay? You're there to learn, baby. <laughs> You know, I think you missed your calling. I mean, you turned out okay professionally, but and we'll talk about that. But like that is like that could have been an enhanced cliff notes, first page, last page, right? It, like, like what the hell? Who cares? Especially if at the end they have like those little summaries. Like, why would you read everything in the middle? That makes no sense to me. This makes no sense. I mean, my Sunday nights were busy, man. I like I got stuff to do here, so I can't be reading this seven hundred page book. Let's be real. <laughs> About like sorority stuff, imp stuff. Come on, like please. So okay, so then um, you're made. Did you say you were a history major? Is that what I heard? Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then in your mind, um, what did you think that was going to lead to? That's such a great question. Um, what you're going to learn about me is that there's very little planning ever. I, I, I don't have like a future plan. I don't have a five-year plan. I don't have a nine-month plan. I got nothing, right? I'm just like, well, let's just arrive there and see what happens and hope for the best and, you know, then figure out what to do with it. So yeah, I had zero plan. Um, my parents, I think, were a little bit concerned with that. <laughs> don't you feel like you should go to business school? And I'm like, I feel strongly like there's math involved with that. And I just don't think that's for me, so... <laughs> And so, yeah, I, I really, honestly, I didn't have a plan. I was like, I love this and I want to learn about it. And this is what I'm going to do. And then at some point, right, it becomes obvious that I'm either going to have to manufacture some sort of job or I'm going to have to apply to something else. Right. And I'm like, actually, you know what? I really want to be a lawyer. I, I think I actually really want to be a lawyer, which that was interesting realization. Like this seems like a, a reasonably strong plan. So, you know, I'll go to law school. And my full intent was to become a, a prosecutor, you know, and I was, I was going to prosecute crimes, right. Um, and, and continue, you know, my illustrious career from the judiciary committee on the, on the council side. And I was just going to stay with that. I was going to go to law school and prosecute crimes. It was going to be great. Um, and I got to law school and this is where the, the major nerd part happens, right? Omitting again what a nerd I am. Um, I fell in love with contracts. How dorky is that? Like, does it get any dorkier? Like in my mind, I thought where we were going is that you had to recuse yourself from prosecuting Ted Jeffries, who <laughs> has been in jail probably more times than I have fingers. Um, but. <laughs> So that's where I thought you were going with this. I didn't think you were going with contracts. So contracts. How did you fall in love with contracts? Do you know, I, so I took this contracts class. You have to, right? You have to take your contracts class in law school. Everybody has to have some basic understanding of how contracts work. And to be honest, I think it's a like a generalized laziness where I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So in all these other areas, you have to learn all these laws. In this area, you just write down what you want it to be. I'm like, this is for me. This is great. Other people are going to learn about like actual law, like privacy law or patent law or like real things. And I'm like, I'm just going to figure out how to word it in the right way so that it works. So this is kind of what attracted me to it. And yeah, weirdly ended up kind of building my career around that became essentially a contracts lawyer. 
Okay. So when you graduated from Virginia, we'll go back to Virginia stuff. Don't worry. But like you graduated, when did you go to law school? Was that right away? Or did you have like a little hiatus that you did something else? I went right away, um, just drove down the road to Wayne and Mary, went to law school there, um, graduated in 96 and, um, you know, first job as, you know, most lawyers, first job in a reasonably good sized law firm in Richmond, Virginia, doing contracts litigation, um, you know, did the whole first year associate thing and, and all that worked like a dog. Um, and then after that, went um, and decided to start my family, which then, fascinatingly, was totally incompatible with being a litigator, right? A full-time litigator, because I, at that point, it was like, you know, we have a case to argue in Smithfield, Virginia, so I'm just going to move there for three weeks. And unless you have someone who stays home in your home, you know, you can, it turns out you can't like put down some newspaper and leave out a dog dish and be like, bye kids, you know, see you in three weeks. So that was the time that um, after going to law school and then going to the law firm, I decided when I came back from having kids, I would go part time. So kind of these little, you know, interesting twists and turns that life takes you on. Why, why didn't you call me? I would have been your nanny. <laughs> would have been amazing. Think about, think about how good the kids would have been at goalkeeping. That's all we would have Seriously. done. We would have watched goalkeeping videos and soccer games. That's it. They would have been like World Cup, Claudio Reyna, John Harks, Tony Miola-esque. I'm going to have to hope that they don't hear this podcast and then turn on me and be like, Mom, what the heck? Like, why didn't you call that guy, right? No, and my son, if you could have turned him into a world-class goalie, that would have been amazing. My son, when he played soccer, um, my daughter also played soccer, was amazing. She was adorable. Um, and I coached her little team and like had all this fun. My son, I signed him up for soccer and he's the kid when they actually were lining up to learn how to be goalkeepers and they had a really cute coach and the coach is like, show me your mean face, you know? And they're like, mm, and he's like, you know, Spread your arms out. Show me your mean face. My son is on his back, picking daisies and looking at the sky. <laughs> like, I love this kid. I just love it. He does not care. So anyway, we needed you. We needed you back then. We really needed the focus and the drive. That's okay. Well, he's 21, so he still has a couple of years. If he wants to pick it up, just then... <laughs> send them to Connecticut and we'll, we'll get going with that. So then, okay. So then you went to law school and you kicked butt there and then you got into your job world, your career world. And you then had this little epiphany that like trying to be a parent and trying to be a litigator or in the field of law was not working for you. So then how was that transition out? And then tell me the transition back in. Yeah, so I did the gradual thing, right? I was with a law firm and I went part time. Um, that was kind of a struggle. Um, and so eventually after being part time and supporting litigation and, and doing all that stuff for a while, I decided I would just go all the way out, you know, and I decided that, um, you know, work would always be there. My kids were only little once. I was really struggling with how to manage the time back and forth, feeling like I was kind of missing out on some moments with them. So left it behind completely, right? And and um, was a stay-at-home mom. I'm not sure how long, to be honest. I feel like it's maybe 
three, four years. It felt like it was like six months, but I was, I was updating my resume at some point And I was like, Oh, apparently I was home for much longer than I thought. Um, so yeah, was, was able to be home with them when they were little, which was just such a treat. It was amazing. I wouldn't trade it for the world. Um, and then when I started to feel like maybe I was ready to get back into it, um, but not sure, you know, I was like, hmm, law firm, don't know if I want to go back into that world. Um, an opportunity fell in my lap. Um, at, we were in Charlotte, North Carolina, and um, found out that somebody was looking for a part-time legal counsel to help their small business. I'm like, oh, yeah, I can do that. Sure. And uh, what kind of company is it? It's a software company. And I'm like, well, I don't know a single thing about that. So let's go. Let's do it. Right. So I signed on to this software company, helped them out, cleaning up their contracts, helping them contract with customers better, doing all this. Next thing you know, we are getting acquired by IBM. So ended up, yeah, insane. And so ended up, um, you know, from this little part-time charming little world, ended up jumping into this due diligence, learning all about, you know, how a company gets acquired, how a company prepares to be acquired, blah, 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 blah. And, and help work us through the whole acquisition by IBM, end up working for IBM. Um, and nothing against IBM. They're a great company. They pay super well, all that stuff. They take care of their employees. But I was sitting there like, this whole big company thing is not for me. I loved working for this small company. I'm out of here. I'll, I'll go find another small company to work for. So I find another small company to work for. A friend of mine um, that I actually played tennis with gives me a call one day. And he's like, Rainy, you know, we are arguing and negotiating our own contracts. And we really need some help. And somebody told me that you have some experience in this area. And I'm like, well, yeah, I'm, I'm actually a lawyer. And he says, oh my God, that's great. I mean, I've been friends with this guy for like five years. And he doesn't know that I'm, I'm a lawyer. I'm like, awesome. So he's like, oh, that's great. And he says, you know, I don't know if you know anything about software. And I said, well, Rob, I'm a, I'm a software lawyer. He's like, oh, this is amazing. He's like, would you like to help us out? So I say, sure. So I, I just jump in again with another tiny little company and become, you know, their counsel again, help them clean up their contracts, start negotiating all their contracts with customers, this kind of thing, having the time of my life. And Siemens comes knocking to buy this company. So I start with this thing of like, if you are looking to get acquired, step one, hire me as your lawyer. You've got, you wait three, four years and boom, you're going to be acquired, guaranteed, right? So end up working the whole due diligence process and doing all of that with the Siemens team, knowing full well, I'm like, I'm going to be, we're going to do this acquisition. I'm going to get my team transition. And then I am out of here. I've already been to this rodeo, not interested in working for this giant company. And that acquisition was in 2014 and I'm still with Siemens. <laughs> I still am stuck on that one part where your friend didn't know that you were a lawyer. That's great. You know, and, and I think that there's, um, I'm going to offend somebody here, but I'm really good at that. So let's go with it. Um, like the problem is you like, you're not dorky enough to be a lawyer. Like, let's say for example, I don't know, hypothetically speaking, someone with the initials JTB, who is an M he, he's a dork. He's a dork, right? He's a dork. So like, that's what, you know, you'd like talk to him in three minutes and know he's a dork, right? But like, you're not a dork. So it's like, you, you think like, I wouldn't know, you're more like, uh, like, you know, 
shot girl at a, at a bar or like a marketing person or like maybe back in the day work for MTV, something cool. Like yes. That. Oh, definitely. Yes. I, I wish I could acclaim that level of coolness, but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, okay, so you're still there. So now tell everyone yeah. what you're doing today there. Go ahead. Don't be shy. Don't make me pull it out and say it. Just <laughs> help me here. So yeah, so I am actually as of October one, so really a brand new position for me. I am CEO of a Siemens business. I'm CEO of Siemens Advanta for North America, um, and it's 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 a shock to me. Maybe you know if anybody's listening to this, they'll be like, "What?" And trust me, this is what I'm saying too, because I'm how did I get here? Um, it's been it's been a wild ride. I think it's my maybe fifth position inside of Siemens, right? I came in and was just whatever senior counsel or something like this, ended up running for their for their software business, ended up running global contracts, integrating all um, of their acquired companies. So just kind of kept hopping from, from position to position as things would open up. Um, and then I found myself um, with my two kids um, off to college, right? My, my daughter had, had graduated high school, gone off to college. Um, my son was getting ready to graduate. And I was like, I'm sitting here in this big old house in Houston, Texas. My kids are gonna be on opposite ends of the United States. You know, I should look in and see what's out there. Full disclosure, um, was dating a German guy at the time that I had met through work. And he's like, hey, would you be interested in maybe coming to Munich? I'm like, yeah, well, I'm, you know, I'm sitting here by myself in Houston. What the hell, right? Like, let's take a chance, take a leap. So I open up the Siemens job postings for the one and only time ever. And it says they're looking for a general counsel for this brand new business that they're starting called IoT services. And I'm like, I have literally no idea what those words mean. So let's apply for that job, right? And I'm like, Siemens moves so slowly, this giant conglomerate, you know, it'll be six months before I even hear back. So I got lots of time in front of me to see if this really feels right. And do I really want to move to Munich? Is this the move I'm going to make? Well, they called me immediately. I interviewed the next week. And when I walked out of the interview, they called me and said, we'll be calling you this afternoon to negotiate salary. And by the way, you're getting ready to meet with the general counsel of all Siemens worldwide for lunch tomorrow. So then I was like, I guess this isn't a choice anymore. And I guess I'm moving to Munich to take this job. It's ridiculous. It was ridiculous. And so I, I yeah, I was like, I would love to accept this job offer. Thank you so much. Um, and became general counsel for this brand new business, then called IoT Services, now, you know, branded and fancy with Siemens Advanta, um, and got to be essentially part of a startup business inside of a giant, you know, multinational conglomerate. Yeah. And, and it's been so cool and, and been a part of really building that business, you know, creating ourselves, learning what the market wants and, and how we can figure out how to serve it, how to create um, a culture, you know, within there. I'm doing all this as general counsel in Munich, sitting, sitting there with, with, you know, other members at headquarters, having the time of my life when um, after two and a half years in Munich, our global CEO of our business says, um, hey, would you consider leaving the legal profession 
and going into the business. Um, I have a job and I would really like it if you would apply for it. And I said, all right, let me, let me think on this. And he didn't tell me what job it was. And, um, and I said, okay, let me think on this. This is a big move, right? I've been a lawyer for whatever, 20 some odd years. And this is a big move. So let me think about it. And I thought about it literally for two hours and I texted him. I'm like, yeah, what the hell? Why not? I'm in, let's do it. And he says, actually, um, great. The job is being the, the CEO of our US team of, of North America. And I'm like, seriously? Like, I, I literally just got here. Like, I sold my house. I, <laughs> I my own. I got on the plane to Munich. Uh, you know, I, I'm dating this guy. We moved in together. It's awesome. Things are going great. And now you want to ship me back to the US. Like, seriously. Um, and then I was like, yeah, all right, let's do it, right? Like, when am I going to get this chance again? Who's going to invite their lawyer to take over as CEO? So I'm, I'm jumping at it. So that's what I did. And so ever since October 1, I'm back in the U.S. That's so awesome. You know, it's interesting as I'm hearing you tell the story, I'm thinking to myself, why do, why do I have such a connection with Rainy? And I figured out in the middle of you talking what it is. You're a CEO and I'm the CEO of the Imp podcast. And that's why, and that's what we have in common. We're both CEOs of very, very, very important organizations. That's, that's amazing. We, you know full well that the rest of us are just trying to live up to your already superstar status. So, I mean, uh, the rest of us are just really pretenders here, Tom. So don't, don't be giving me your thing. I'm not even having it. <laughs> okay, family, you heard that. I'm important, not just in my own mind. You see? So, so that's great. So are you feeling any pressure from that job? How is that? <laughs> Love the question. It is crushing. I mean, it's crushing, right? The pressure is crushing um, and it's fun as hell. It, it really, I mean, it's, it's both. And when people have been asking me, how is it? And I say, it's, it's really like a roller coaster ride, which I mean, well, how cliche, right? It's like a roller coaster ride. So there's like these unbelievable highs, right? I mean, you're at the, you're at the top of the roller coaster and you're like, oh, this is amazing. I'm so glad I did this, yes. And then you go, hurtling down to the bottom and you're like, holy crap, this is impossible. What on earth was I thinking? Oh my God. And I'm like, there's never any normal. There's like, there's never like, oh, this was a day. Yeah. It's Tuesday. Had some meetings. No big, no days like that. Zero days like that. Right. And so it is, it's, it's highs and lows. And, and I mean, it's all very new. It's only, it's like whatever, my fourth or fifth month doing this. So I think it will even out. Um, but I, I have this bad habit of not staying in these jobs long enough to get comfy. Like just when it's time to like kind of put my feet up on the desk and be like, I totally got this. I'm like, well, new job, let's go. So I'm really hoping to stick around long enough to, to get comfy in this one. <laughs> You know, one of the things that I don't love about social media, they call the Facebook effect, right? Where you, people go on Facebook and it's always the perfect picture and the kids, their kids have the great grades and everyone's flying like a private jet and like eating the best food at the best restaurants. So I like, I think it's important just to go and you can totally blow off this question, but it wasn't a straight line up to that CEO position. Like, what were some of the bumps along the way, personally, professionally, whatever you feel like talking about? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's a really good question. And I think that um, it's something I, I really, I, and I love the way you posed it, right? It's it, the easy example is social media, right? With everybody, you know, putting their, you know, kids beating their swim times and the whatever, like, you know, <laughs> you know, oh, and we're at the Hamptons this weekend and blah, 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 right? And then I think to myself, well, Rainy, what do you want to see? Do you want them to post like, you know, <laughs> the really ugly stuff, right? So what, what, what are you thinking? So it, it's a good example. And it's also something to be honest, like in my own life, because I love to be happy and I love to be positive. Um, and and it, that's great. And I, and I think it's an asset, but it's also important to be authentic, to be real, to admit that stuff is hard, right? And, and to, to share with other people, first of all, because you're a human being and you need that, right? You need that connection, but also because you'll never learn if you don't, right? If I don't open up to people and be like, holy crap, you guys, this is hard. Then I have no, if I'm just like, no, it's going great. No, it's going super. It's fabulous. Everything's great. And I'm doing fine. Um, you know, you don't, you're never going to get a chance to to learn from their experiences or to feel that empathy, right? But to be honest, like that was something I almost had to kind of force myself to learn because I, I like to be happy and positive and, and put the, the shiny, you know, face on things. And, and it sometimes was hard for me to admit like that this is hard. And quite honestly, I don't know if I can do it. Like this, we're facing failure here. I might fail at this. Um, and it makes you so much of a better person and it makes your life so much richer. So now that I've practiced it a lot where I'm like, oh, you guys, I really suck at this. Let's all be real here. And you're going to have to talk to me like I'm a five-year-old before I'm going to understand what you're saying. So I've practiced it a lot. Um, and so I'm, I'm getting a little better at it. Um, but yeah, many, many challenges, right? Like moving to Munich is a good example. Fun and awesome. And it sounds really glamorous. Yeah. You get there, you have no idea. I can't tell you the number of like trains that I got on, they're going the wrong way. And like the instructions are coming across in German. I can't understand them, you know? And I look like an idiot. I am an idiot. I'm now an hour late for work because I'm out in the German countryside somewhere on the wrong freaking train. And they don't have air conditioning on the trains. And I'm like, this is a third world country. I can't live like this. It's hot, <laughs> it's gross. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and going into this, um, um, really um, tightly knit society in Siemens in Germany, where everybody knows everybody. They've all been around for 20 years. It's been the same folks running the legal department literally for 20 years. They would openly tell me like, oh, everybody's talking about you. Everybody is saying this and this and this about you. And I'm being like kind of under that scrutiny. And it, it just, yeah, there's been a lot of difficult moments kind of all culminating in, you know, jumping over from the legal department into this job as CEO, um, running a tech services company, right? And, and we can all be really open here. They didn't pick me because of my outstanding software programming skills. <laughs> I couldn't program or code if you held a gun to my head. Um, and so I, my learning curve is it is steep. 
Um, and you know, the, the parts about leadership and culture and, and empowering people, I'm like, this, this is the value that I'm adding. This is what I'm bringing. I need you guys to help bring me up to speed um, really getting deep on this tech stuff because I have a lot to learn still. So that's that's really kind of my my personal struggle at the moment. And really being open and vulnerable and able to say it helps a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, I think that people love people who open up and aren't putting on the charade that it's perfect all the time. So that's awesome. And it's I'm glad to hear you're struggling because part of that struggle probably leads to more growth, right? And who knows what the next thing is. I would tell you, don't go and switch positions for a little bit now that you're starting to get the hang of things. It's like, in my mind, as you're saying that, I'm thinking to myself, yeah, that's like a goalkeeper saying, oh yeah, I'm going to go now. I'm going to play forward, right? Like exactly. now that... Now that I'm awesome at keeping the ball out of the goal, I'm going to relearn and go learn to put the ball in the goal. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. It's exactly right. I mean, and really, it, it really is a massive mindset switch. And, and, and interestingly, it's exactly to your metaphor, right? Which is my role has been protecting the company, being like, I mean, yeah, you guys can totally go out and do all this stuff. Let me just tell you about the risks here. And now I'm on the side of being like, Oh, that sounds kind of risky. Yeah, we're going to go ahead and do that anyway. You know, and, and having to make the decision instead of just advising and counseling and helping the people. It's now time for me to make the decision, which I love, but turns out it's tough. It's really tough. And not just make the decision because that's top down and you're not going to get anywhere with that, right? It's bringing the team with you, you know, learning from them and bringing them with you and really building something together. And it's a massive challenge, but it, I, like I said, it's fun as hell. You wouldn't do it any other way, but it is, it is a struggle. You know, there's a, um, there's a guy named Jesse Itzler who was living here in New York, who wrote a book called living with a seal. And he basically hired the seal to live with him for a month. Really. It's really good. Book. And I imagine we're talking about like a Navy and not like, or, or. No, yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yes, definitely Navy SEAL. Thanks for the clarification. Good. You, I love that you know our audience. It's like a very low, yeah, that was perfect. I'm glad because you'd have someone out there like Chris Havlicek thinking, he's like, what is he talking about? What, what, is, he, what is he talking about? Shout out to Chris Havlicek. That's awesome. He's like, I didn't know you could pay for a SEAL. I know. Why didn't I think of that? It's awesome. I love it. So he said, if it his phrase was, if it doesn't suck, we don't do it. And I always have thought about that. And at first I thought it was just funny that he said it, but then when I put more time into thinking about it, I'm like, yeah, that's right. If it doesn't suck, we don't do it because what gets you to where you want to go is doing the things you don't want to do and they suck. So, yeah. right. And so empowering your team to do actually what they're best at and what maybe you suck at um, is probably the best strategy ever because that way everyone's doing what they're best at. And by the way, when you're really good at it, you tend to like it. So, you know, I, I think that's a great strategy. That's awesome. So now are you going to be living in the States now for the foreseeable future or, okay. So, I am. Okay, cool. All right. That's awesome. I am. It's, it's awesome. And I'm, I'm almost, I'm, I'm, I'm based out of Phoenix, but so far it has been such a wild ride that, you know, I'm, I'm almost never here. I think the month of January, I spent zero days in Phoenix. Um, Maybe since I started my job in October, in the last, whatever, four months, I've maybe been in Phoenix for three weeks total, maybe four weeks. Um, I, I've just, you know, especially, you know, leading a team and we're, we're spread across the United States. 
Um, I made it a priority to have one-on-one -on -one meetings with anyone willing to meet with me, either in person or over video. So I've, I've been flying around the country, meeting my own team, meeting customers, um, doing all this stuff. So it's it's been really crazy, like just on a plane constantly, living out of a suitcase, um, but super fun, really fun. And I think you said your kids, Emma and Jack, are they on different coasts? Did I hear you say that? Yeah, so my, my daughter was um, out in outside of Chicago. She went to Notre Dame um, and has graduated and is taking a year off, which I'm super happy for her. I'm super proud that she's taking the year off, right? Something I wish I had done. So really thrilled for her. She's chilling. She spent some time in Hawaii and she crashes with friends a lot in Chicago. So she's, she's mainly out of Chicago-ish when she's not, you know, jetting around to see friends. And then my son's at UCLA. So I had one in Chicago, one in UCLA. It's a plane ride either way. And they loved coming to visit me in Munich. Um, so, but it's nice to be back in the States where I can just hop on a very quick flight and, and see them anytime. So it's, it's, that's been a fantastic part about moving back. Yeah, I think uh, I heard a rumor that when you became the CEO, you offered to meet one on one with anyone who wanted to, only if they lived in LA or Chicago. <laughs> exactly. Warm places. <laughs> and then also Chicago. Yeah, exactly. You've, you've nailed it. That's exactly my strategy. <laughs> so, okay, what's next for you? What's the next hurdle? Gosh, you know, it's it's a fantastic question because I have absolutely no idea. I, I really, I don't plan ahead. I actually really admire people that do. I'm not knocking it. I think it's really impressive when people have a life plan or a five-year plan. It's just really not for me. You know, I'm like, let's do this thing and see what happens. Yeah. And, and if I hate it, I'll just stop doing that thing and do something else. Um, and so I really don't know. I don't know what's next for me. I, I love what I'm doing. I love this. I love the company. I love the story that we're telling. Um, I love to be a part of building something, right? And putting something together and solving people's problems. So I'm so happy right now that I, I don't, I don't really have a plan for after this. I'm going to do this as long as I can. Imagine, do you get back to Schultzville ever? I never do. And I'm listening to these podcasts and I'm like, I've got to go back. I, I really, it's, it's a shame that I haven't been back more because it's, it's such an amazing place. And I didn't realize that so many of the imps are really located around there. So yeah, I need to get back. And who's the last imp that you talked to? Oh, so lately, just having been, you know, connected with this group, I've been texting with Tony on LinkedIn a little bit. Um, and then before that, my gosh, I mean, again, same, um, some email conversation with Ross, with Brian. Um, and before that, it's been just ages, ages. So I'm, I can't tell you how excited I am that um, Ross and Brian found me and are, are really, you know, opening up the doors for me again to kind of essentially rejoin this amazing group. So when you go back to Charlottesville, whenever that is, and you go to that Sunday meeting at the chapel, because why am I thinking you wouldn't miss an opportunity to do that? Just, just hypothetically speaking, what's the life lessons that you're going to tell them about? They're going to want you to impart all this great knowledge. What are you going to tell them? Yeah, I mean, if you're looking to me to impart great knowledge, you are in deep trouble, right? If, if I'm your source of, 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 of 
deep knowledge. You, you really hit rock bottom. Um, but, uh, but no, I, I really, for me, like if I'm, if I was talking to imps, I would tell them, you know, there will be this time in your life. You're, you're amazed at it now, but there will be a time in your life when you look back and this is so deeply meaningful to you. And, and everybody in the podcast have touched on it, which is this truly diverse group of people back before diversity was a word. This was the foundation of this group, always. It was, it was driven, right? The, one of the entire points of the existence of this group was to bring people together from all different backgrounds, from all different worlds, all different experiences, and bring them together. And to be included in that group was such a privilege. And, and really, and today, we're trying to find that right? To make sure that our workplaces reflect, you know, diversity of background, diversity of thought, you know, all this stuff. And, and it was given to us like a gift that we didn't even deserve. And, and, and I really, so, so that would be, you know, one thing, you know, from like the old lady to be like, someday you're going to look back on this, you know, so that would be one thing I would say. Um, and then, and then the other thing is really just really be happy in being yourself. Really bring yourself to everything that you do and let yourself experience all of the happiness that that brings. Like, don't try to be someone else. Like, as I've gone through all these different jobs, I, I get to the point where I'm like, is this finally the point where I'm going to have to act like a grown up? Am I going to have to stop saying things like, wow, when people talk? Like, am I supposed to sound like a CEO? And I'm like, that's not going to happen. I can't keep that up, right? I can't, I can't put that act on for very long. So I've just resolved to just continue being myself. And it makes me a lot happier person. And so, yeah, that's, that's the only sage advice that I can offer. But I think that, you know, your point, uh, to, all joking aside, is to be authentic and be yourself, you know, and, and, I, and I think that that's important that it comes out or else, you know, something is missing. And sometimes you can't pinpoint what the missing is with somebody, but it's missing. So, exactly. you know, clearly you haven't lost that. You're as authentic as they get. And uh, this, <laughs> this conversation is awesome. Just awesome. Any parting words that you need to share with Imp Nation? Yeah, just that I miss you guys. I am absolutely thrilled to be reconnected with this group. Um, and I can't wait to meet you all in Charlottesville sometime soon. If y'all are gathering, give me a call because I would really love um, to get back connected in. So thank you so very much. This has been an absolute blast. And, and just like when first joining the Imp Society, it truly is a privilege. And, and I appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. So thank you. Rainy, you lived up to expectations. Boy, I was worried that you were going to be a huge disappointment after everyone set the bar so high. But it was awesome hanging out with you. Thanks for fitting us in your schedule today because I know things have been a little bit busy for you. Uh, and if Nation, you'll love it. Like she didn't skip a beat. I sent that email and I said, oh, I'd love to have you on the Imp podcast. And basically she sent me back some version of hell yeah, let's do it. Imp Nation, if you need me for anything, just respond back to those emails I sent out. Please send pictures of you in your real life now. Love to have those because everyone loves to see what you're up to. And if I'm needed for anything, just give me a holler.
Hi there, Tom here. Before I let you go, I want to tell you about my other podcast, Total Sense. As you may know, after my time as an imp, I went on to become a financial advisor. Okay, stop laughing. Don't act so surprised. In each episode, I share advice to parents about how to talk to kids about money. As a parent, I know how difficult that money conversation can be, so I hope you'll listen and find it helpful. It's Total Sense, C-E-N-T-S, as in money, available anywhere you get your podcasts.